From Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Hey, hey, out there in Radio Land, it is time for a, a, just a jam-packed edition of the best podcast you've never downloaded. This is Backroom Politics. I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Joining me as they do in the studio when we record this show, to my left, she is the former comms guru at the U.S. Department of State, and she is currently, do you call yourself editor-in-chief of Politigals? What do you call yourself? A moderator. A moderator. Well, that's my, that's my title. We can't facilitator. have two. Facilitator. She's a facilitator of Politigals. Yes. She's the one we know as Aaron Harbaugh. Hello, Aaron. Hello. Good you, afternoon, you, you look you, you look fantastic for just having given birth. Congratulations on the latest addition to the to the family. Thank We're you. glad to have you back. Uh, across the table from me, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade. He is the one we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello there. Uh, joining us from a undisclosed location in America's heartland, he is the Democratic political operative and not the reason for the major meltdown in Iowa that we know of. He is the one we know as Dan Lipner. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Justin. And also joining us from an undisclosed location in the great Bay State of Massachusetts. He is the author of such books as American Politics on the Rocks. He is the one we know as uh, Rich Rubino. Hey, Rich. Hey, Justin. And we've got a lot to cover on this one between... So as everybody knows, we we record this show on a Tuesday during the week, and we give you two great hours of great political dialogue. But on this Tuesday, there's a lot going on. For those who haven't seen, we are in the middle of a presidential election cycle, which theoretically got kicked off yesterday in Iowa for the Democratic uh, political, for the Democrats and their political operatives out there in the heartland. The um, Everything seemed to be going well until they actually started caucusing, and then it kind of went south from there. Uh, from there, it became more and more evident that there were problems. There have been all kinds of media reports. Uh, we've been in contact with several precinct leads out there in Iowa. We're getting all kinds of good details. Dan, you were boots on the ground out there. Um, but let's let's talk about the the bigger, and then we'll drill down. Dan Lipner, we're going to start with you. This is a huge black eye for the Dems in a cycle that they were looking to come out strong on, or is this just a hiccup, and we will forget about this by next week? Well, uh, first, I think that's a little too macro. Uh, in fact. Uh, for, and also, I'd like to say I'm very proud to have been part of the very last Iowa caucus. Uh, <laughs> uh, the the uh, IDP, uh, it is pretty much goes without question. The Iowa Democratic Party um, did not handle themselves well. And worse yet, they seem to be uh, handling the correction poorly. Uh, it's, it's definitely not good. In my own precinct, I was a precinct captain for Joe Biden. Uh, here in Dubuque, uh, the big surprise out of it was actually uh, Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete is really organized on the ground here, and I think he might actually be the biggest loser for the IDP's screw-up, because uh, if he won Iowa, he lost his moment in the sun because of 
uh, the errors in reporting, and that's not on any of the campaigns. That's entirely on the IDP. Yeah, Alan Moore, let's talk about this. I mean, Dan joked about the fact that this could, in fact, be the last Iowa caucus that we see. I, I mean, have we gotten to a point where the caucuses are just out of date and out of touch with reality, and it doesn't represent a true figure of the mindset of the electorate? Well, the, the Iowa caucus has been a target uh, for years. Um, and it has had some major uh, challenges in the in the last couple of cycles, um, with with Bernie versus uh, Clinton, with with uh, Mitt Romney versus Santorum, um, where the the <laughs> the result was announced one day, and then a couple of weeks later, uh, they said, "Oh, actually, Mitt Romney didn't win by four votes. Rick Santorum won by 50. Right. Um, it, it, it's but but it's not so much those screw ups, although they certainly feed into it. But the problem, particularly for the Democrats, is Iowa is not very representative of the country and of the people who support Democrats, no matter how the caucus process works. Right. So it's not a great state for Democrats. It's not horrible for Republicans. It 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 tends to be a Republican leaning state, but it, just in terms of the the demographics uh, of the state. But then the problem is also the caucus process itself. They can they they make modifications this year. They they allowed votes to move from one group to another in a new way, and then of course this so-called app that was going to make everything really quick and simple blew up in their faces, and and everybody's what I'm what I'm hearing from you is that this is basically lipstick on a pig that's overdue for radical change. Well, that's a that's an excellent point because hey, Al- Alan's wrong about the diversity. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let let him let him let him answer the question, and then I'll come to you guys. Okay, hold on. Dan thinks that three percent African American and four percent Hispanic is 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 a good representative mix. That's fine. He can have that view. That's not the conventional view. Um, But but the 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 caucuses have been challenged, looked at, questioned, wondered about. You've occasionally had some candidates who just said, "I'm going to skip the caucus," and then maybe it worked out for them. Maybe it didn't. Um, It. For it to play such a role so early, right? For a hundred million or so dollars to be spent there for God knows how many person years of candidates, not to mention thousands and thousands of volunteers, it it carries way too much influence and weight than it should, given the process, given the location. Given the demographics, right. so I think it's done. Right. I, I think that this is is going to push them over the edge right. to make a change next time. Rich Rubino, this is not the first time that we've seen problems with the caucus system, let alone the Iowa caucus. Uh, give me a little bit of history on this process and why is it important, irrelevant? or even just a bygone past era that we need to put in the history books? Well, it's interesting because a lot of people think there must be some special status that the Democratic Party somehow awarded to Iowa and said, Iowa, we want you to go first because you're somehow superior. Actually, it was kind of by accident. Back in 1972, basically, Iowa decided they were going to have their caucuses early. Um, there was after this was 1968 when Hubert Humphrey beat Eugene McCarthy. After Humphrey hadn't participated in any primaries, so the Governor Fraser Commission came in. Long story short, 
they decided that they were going. They decided that each state would have caucuses or primaries, and they would try to get it so that there would be it would be more representative of the people than of the party high command. So ISS are going to have theirs first, and most people are focusing on New Hampshire as they always had. And then there was one person who was really responsible for this, and that's Gary Hart. Not the Gary Hart of 1984, but the Gary Hart of 1972. He was a young campaign operative managing the long shot candidacy of George McGovern. McGovern was a 200 to one long shot senator from South Dakota. And, they, and he was looking for a place other than New Hampshire where, Joe, where he could show his electoral bona fides. So he says, why don't we spend some time in Iowa? Why don't we spend a, have a grassroots movement out there? So as a result, he spend, they spent a lot of time there. Uncommitted comes in first. Ed Muskie, the establishment candidate, comes in second. And McGovern comes in third. And the next day, the media is saying, who is this guy, George McGovern? McGovern gets some media attention, lands up finishing second in New Hampshire, and uses it as kind of a springboard. And then Jimmy Carter followed up on that in 1976. Spent an inordinate amount of time there, ends up coming in second to uncommitted, and then go and then ends up winning New Hampshire. Right. So as a result, right. both parties are essentially now because of that spent an inordinate amount of time in Iowa, but it doesn't have some special status. Right. It just kind of happened almost by accident. Right, Dan Lipner. I mean, you brought up the uh, point very adamantly when Alan was giving his answer. The fact is that. Uh, Jokingly you, would be would, would be the point. Okay. The, I was saying some some people grow corn, some people grow, grow soy, some people are Catholic, some people are Protestant. So you know, there's diversity here. Oh, the, the reality <laughs> is that this has been a criticism of the Iowa lots caucus. Lots of pig farming. No, what's that? Lots, lots of pig <laughs> lots of pig farming. Yep. That's correct. And the thing not about so it is, lipstick, no, not not so much lipstick on a pig. But the reality <laughs> is, is that there's been a criticism of the Iowa caucuses as not being a true representative sample of the electorate and that you might want to look at a place like Florida, California, Texas, uh, New York, or even the Carolinas as more indicative of the American electorate than a place like Iowa. Is is that a is that a fact a fair uh is that a fair attack on Iowa and the caucus and is it really that important? Well, so this is the thing. It's it's really an issue of how, while the, the criticisms of the the demographic diversity actually hold some water, uh, the there's also the question of do you want to make a the first primary. Uh, someplace where you need to have a war chest of a hundred million dollars. Uh, we had a couple candidates in this cycle that seemingly were 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 people who could be front runners. And in this case, it's the uh, the Kamala Harris. She had a hundred, raised a hundred million dollars, and if she was it had, had to compete in a big state, media would have been a different creature, and she wouldn't have had the same up close and personal relationship with voters that she would have, that she had to do. Uh, in Iowa and New Hampshire, and in this case, she she had a hundred million dollars, and she didn't make it to the finish line anywhere. But now Dan- contrast that with Mayor Pete, a candidate out of nowhere, out of South Bend, Indiana, who made his bones being incredibly impressive on on the stump, getting to know voters, and the voters turned out for him because he had the opportunity to get a chance to meet them. So the democratic process in states like. Iowa and New Hampshire being as small as they are, get really give an opportunity right. for candidates without a lot of money to really make their name. Right. But but Dan, let's also be realistic. I mean, we saw a lot of people that we had been told they had reported, even they were even promoting the fact that they were getting great ground game, a tremendous grassroots effort. You brought up a couple of them. You know, Cory Booker, you thought Cory Booker could have been an elected governor of Iowa. At one point, the way he was talking, uh, are are we really putting too much pressure 
on this one state to really be a determining factor on the kingmaker for uh, the Democratic or or even Republican uh, presidential nominee? I mean, it could be reasonably argued that you should have a plethora of small states early on that actually reflects some diversity. At the moment, uh, Iowa, which is yes, not the most diverse state, New Hampshire, uh, I think slightly more diverse, but still not terribly diverse. And then South Carolina, which takes a pretty dramatic swing on diversity, which then you have an issue of, while it's a an issue of African-American diversity, it's a state that doesn't represent an electorate that, that can seemingly win nationally since South Carolina hasn't been in play since um, as far as I know, not in my lifetime. I don't remember the last time a Democrat won South Carolina. I'm sure Rich knows this off the top nine, of his nine, head. That would have been uh, Jimmy Jimmy Carter won it in 1976. And there, there it we is. go. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I mean, the, 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 there there are strengths and weaknesses to to all of the arguments. And the real question is, how do we want our nominee chosen? Right. Now, I will say outright, I personally am against. Uh, big states being too early in the process because uh, then it's the money game. Bloomberg could buy ads in New York, California, and Florida outright, never have to meet a real voter, and swamp the competition. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about the Bloomberg factor coming into this. But, Aaron, I, I want to talk to you because if I look at this as an independent or an outsider, not a political you know, operative, uh, I can look at what happened in Iowa one of two ways. If it's my person, like let's say I am pulling for Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete didn't finish first, which he claimed or a lot of people had predicted he might. But he also didn't finish fourth, which would have been tremendously disappointing. How do you know he didn't finish first? Well, no, he, no I he, think no, he did finish first. I was on the ground he here. Did. Wait, wait, wait. He wait, won, wait, he wait, won wait, my we, precinct. Right now, right now, right now, we have no official tally from the Iowa Democratic Party. Right. We don't right. have nobody a Nobody won and nobody we had, lost. Oh, hold on, but let me finish. We have a bunch of people who are now leaving, and the question's for Aaron. We'll get to you guys. We have a bunch right, of people. But the statement was unfair that you made. You no, said no, no, he didn't no, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. Stop, 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 stop. He I said didn't win. He, we, he has not won. You said he, he has didn't win. He didn't win. You said Nobody's he won. did not win. Well, okay, if you want to get into semantics, if you want to get into semantics, okay, we're not going to yes, get into that. This is what matters no, for No, 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 but, but here's the any, thing is. Any campaign outright would have lost their minds if they were on with us. If you said that with any of their people on on the line. And the reality is. There was no winner declared. As of last night. He did not win. As of nobody this won. morning, nobody's Nobody won. Nobody won. So I'm not going to get into a semantics fight. Someone but has won. Sorry. Who, who's someone, won? We don't know. Who's won? But someone has. Who's won? We don't know and, who. And here's, and here's the, the great thing about over. it. Here's the, the great thing about it. We is, don't know. No, no, no. But, Alan, here's the thing about it is let's talk about this practically. <laughs> Why no, are you fighting I this? I am not fighting you it. You said something that was demonstrably it was, false. It is not false. Nobody's won Nobody's won. And revising his remarks. I'm not going to be revising my. I'm standing by the remarks. Here's the thing is you put got, down the Sharpie, Justin. The Sharpie is not going to change oh, the facts. Oh, Jesus. Here we go. No, the facts are is right now. We're down. We everybody. Agree, you need to be nervous. No, I'm not going to be nervous about this. The reality is this is the you Chiefs got, play in Missouri. Hey, the Chiefs play in Missouri. Dan, enough. <laughs> here's the thing is. 
<laughs> the reality is is that you've got every single candidate that's literally walked out of Iowa without a victory. Without a victory. They've all gone to New Hampshire now. So the reality is nobody's won right now in Iowa. If that's the case, you could you have a Pete Buttigieg who could have finished fourth. He could have finished first. He You have an Amy Klobuchar who could have finished sixth or could have finished second. Is, is this a shallow victory for everybody in the lineup or is this bad news for Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, uh, and the top four players? I think that we have to look at how Buttigieg has handled this. And I have to say that man has some cojones, as we like to say in California, to, to come out and to claim this victory, which obviously is is pretty forward-leaning. We don't have the tallies to support that, but perception is reality. And I think if we've learned anything over the last few years, that uh, a little bravado goes a long way. So I I think that the way that the candidates have reacted and responded to this whole situation um, will we'll also determine the perceptions that will take them into um, New Hampshire. So I, I obviously we, we don't have a lot of information, but I when I look at the situation, I, I look at, you know, how how are they handling this? How presidential do they look? Do they seem? I think people are waiting to see them in these situations and for Buttigieg to, to come forward like that. I think may end up earning him a lot of uh, respect. Rich Rubino, is is there a risk with everybody claiming certain victory or walk, you know, giving the victory speeches without any sort of concession last night, as we saw with at least the top five major candidates? Yeah, I mean, certainly, I guess the main risk is you're seen as being somewhat supercilious. But I think what Pete Buttigieg did, actually, he basically, he controlled the narrative. And I kept thinking when he did this to what Bill Clinton did back in 1992. Remember, Bill Clinton comes on at 1045 before the 11 o'clock news that year. This was in New Hampshire. And he came in second place to Paul Songus with 26%. Paul Songus had won. Bill Clinton was supposed to come was supposed to be coming for below Bob Carey. He comes in higher and declared himself the comeback kid. So the next day, the coverage was not that Paul Songus won. It was the coverage that was that Bill Clinton declared the comeback kid because, because Bill Clinton controlled the narrative, and that's what Pete Buttigieg was trying to do. He needed Iowa. You know, Joe Biden did not, necess- did not need to win in Iowa. Um, Amy Klobuchar needed to do well here. Pete Buttigieg needed to do well here. By declaring himself the winner, I think he's, giving the, he's, he's creating a narrative that he really won this caucus, that he really won the caucus, and Bernie Sanders' supporters are doing the exact same thing, by the way. Both of them are saying that they essentially really won this caucus. It was just this process. If you believe it's a conspiracy theory, like some of the Sanders people do, they'll say it's a conspiracy against him. If you're the Buttigieg people, you'll say, well, we really won the caucus. We can tell by our organizing. We can tell by the fact that, you know, Biden didn't reach viability in some places that we won. So as a result, the narrative now is, well, maybe Pete Buttigieg did win, and now you go on to New Hampshire. And obviously he was someone who absolutely needed a victory in Iowa because then he goes on to New Hampshire. He needs that momentum. And then, you know, eventually he's going to go to his firewall of South Carolina where Joe Biden is very – is formidable right now, but Sanders is catching up. Yeah, Rich, I, oh, go ahead, Aaron. I, I, I think Rich hit the nail on the head. It's about controlling the narrative, and I think that yes. Iowa has created a void. You know, it's been chaos and confusion, 
And when you have a situation like that, the person who fills the void uh, ends up with with the narrative. And as long as they control it in a way that uh, furthers their their cause, they're they're going to benefit from but, that. But so then you you've got obviously we need to see what happens. Yeah, but then you you've got a situation now that no matter who the victor might be, there's going to be contention. There's going to be a fight as to the. Uh, they have a uh, um, a um, lost my train of thought. If there is a contested results coming out of Des Moines and the Iowa Democratic Party, uh, no matter who wins, is it going to be a shallow victory or is it going to be just something that uh, won't have the advantage that we would have seen in another election cycle? No. Uh, so two things on that. One, the math is pretty simple. The biggest losers, whoever actually won because they lost their moment in the sun. And again, let me repeat, I genuinely think it was Mayor Pete based on everything I saw on the ground. His ground game was truly impressive. Um, I, I hadn't seen it coming. Um, and everyone else who didn't finish first lives to fight another day because of this mess and and. and Normal voters get to go, okay, we can't trust this on to New Hampshire. Uh, just to make this a little bit bigger, uh, a friend of mine pointed out there's actually absolutely one thing that the, the Iowa caucuses last night had in common with Bush v. Gore 2000. What's that? Me. I was the official Democratic Party observer in the count room in Miami-Dade County 2000, and I was here today. So, so, so what you're yeah, saying is that fault. if there's a major political screw-up in tallying anything— Chances are you're within 150 miles of it. Yep. Dan, let uh, me ask you a question. Do, do you miss the days of the hanging chads? Do you do you think we need to go back to, uh, to those uh, days? I mean, I don't think any guy named Chad was on the ballot, but no. if that would help make it go away. Uh... We, we need we need paper. No, no, somebody... That's what I'm, what I'm saying. You know, actually, no. the Chad, the plural of Chad is actually Chad. Yeah, well, we're not doing oh, this. Okay. We're not doing this. I was in... <laughs> I was in Tallahassee. I was in Tallahassee during this. We're not doing this. No, but I mean, are we getting to a point where where these high tech solutions are are really not, you know, they're not serving us? Well, you have to understand something, though. The the, the app was stupid. By by any metric, the app was stupid. Um, But that wasn't the only mistake made. For example, in in my precinct, uh, Mike Bloomberg had a corner, but he wasn't on the ballot. And that was an error for the training for the the, uh, actual uh, the the precinct chair. And I can't if that happened in my precinct in Dubuque, I can just imagine in the other seventeen hundred precincts, how many other stupid mistakes were made. Uh, And also worth noting on the ground, the Warren people were not the Bernie people, at least from. From where I was, it was the Warren people that weren't playing nice with others, right. not the Bernie folks. So, so Dan, real quickly, uh, and then I'll give the last word to um, to Alan. <clears throat> oh, and and then I'll give you the last funny one, Dan. So th- we've gotten reports that, uh, depending on the on the on the precincts on the districts, there was a considerable rise in numbers in caucus goers. Uh, I talked to one precinct chair who had said that they were in a high school in West Des Moines and they had a standing room only 400 some odd people, which was a record for that particular one district. Uh, are you seeing or did you see the same kind of numbers, increases, or was it 
Was it flat in many instances? No, uh, it, that's so that's a, a precinct by precinct breakdown. Uh, I, yeah, I heard some of that same reporting that numbers were up, but that was the minority of the of the conversations. It was static for the most part, if or dropped. So the ones that had inflated numbers were were absolutely um, the were absolutely uh, the minority. But on that point, we are going to see something we've never seen before this cycle. Um, so we're going to find out how many delegates each candidate got, but we're also going to find out how many actual caucus goers each candidate got, which is a, which is count we've never had before as a hard number. So people are going to be able to declare victory in a few different ways. They can declare they got the most delegates. They can also declare they got the most caucus goers. It's going to be uh, an interesting, interesting mix on how that goes. Alan Moore. Yeah, it, supposedly by five o'clock, which is coming right up, where the the state, uh, although it hasn't met any promises to date, has said or the the officials that they expect to release a majority, most of the results by five o'clock. Um, so whether it's hopefully it'll be most, meaning ninety plus percent, so that one can think it's pretty reliable or pretty representative, um, then we'll know. As Dan says, there are a couple of different ways you can declare victory. Um, but I think Dan's point was the key one, that that Mayor Pete clearly had a big night, whether he wins by one of these metrics or not. And we'll know that very soon. He missed that moment in the sun that he likely deserved. Um, and that's too bad. And he what, what Dan didn't say, and I don't blame him, is that 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 there were also relative winners here. If Joe Biden came in fourth, and it looks like he did, this will reduce the spotlight that would have been on his very poor uh, result under these circumstances. Klobuchar, we don't know. She might have done better than people thought or not so good. Bernie and and Warren, I think Bernie's going to be first or second, and then Warren. We'll we'll know all of that and all this other talk about what what Mayor Pete said and and everything. It'll go away. It's just that they're in New Hampshire now, and we've got an impeachment vote tomorrow and a State of the Union well, we're, tonight. Yeah, we're, and there's we're all get this, to that. No, no, there's all yeah. this competition that wasn't there last night that is now present to further reduce the news value oh, of the Iowa result. I mean, one would argue that the State of the Union was always going to be the day after. There was a lot of pressure to get the results in before midnight to get it inside at least the late news cycle, and they didn't. They screwed that up. Uh, this is a big loss. And now, if you look at the big end game in this, Aaron, does this help Donald Trump? Well, according to polls, it has. And I have some recent information, and I find this very interesting because Trump's polls have actually, I mean, one would think given what has happened over the last week or two with the um, impeachment trials um, that, you know, may affect his ratings, but they, they've gone up. So um, he's never hit beyond 50%. Apparently right now his approval rating is 49%, which is actually better than Obama's approval rating at this point in his presidency. 
uh, during his first term. So he's faring fairly well because of this. Richard Bino, I mean, what what uh, Aaron's bringing up is is kind of eye opening, and it should be a at least a red flag to the Democrats. I mean, is this a wake up call to get the Democrats to get their act straight? Yeah, but I mean, it's also a primary process, and this has actually been pretty tame compared to, you know, primary process, particularly in Iowa when Dick Gephardt and Howard Dean absolutely mutilated each other and then landed up, landed up finishing third and fourth below John Kerry and John Edwards. So, I mean, this is a primary process. Primaries are not pretty. Um, usually, the question is, is, once the primary is over, does the party consolidate? Do they unify? You know, last time around, while Bernie Sanders actually gave 29 speeches supporting Hillary Clinton, there were certainly some Bernie Sanders supporters who either voted for Jill Stein, the Green Party nominee, perhaps in some cases voted for Donald Trump, and in some cases stayed home. But it's very hard to, you know, it's, it's very hard to unify when you obviously you have some differences. But, you know, this is pretty tame compared to, the, compared to what we've seen in the past. Aaron. I mean, go back to, I'll say one more example. What's that? 1968, when Eugene McCarthy, about a week before the election, had to endorse Hubert Humphrey, his statement was, I decided I'm going to endorse Vice President Hubert Humphrey, and I asked my supporters to suffer with me. So. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> uh, Alan, then, uh, then Aaron. So his, his reference to, uh, Rich's reference to 1968 reminded me of something else, that, that although the, pres- the big question tonight for the president is, is he going to talk about impeachment, well, probably not, but he will likely talk about Iowa. And, and, and he will likely say something to the effect of a, a, a party that can't even run a caucus— is that the kind of party that you want running the country? And in 1968, you will remember the riots at the convention in Chicago. And one of Richard Nixon's uh, lines during that campaign was, do you want a, a party who can't even run a convention to be running the country? And so Trump has a potential here for a narrative, which is, hard to push back on, at least for the moment, because this was such a disaster for the party. Right, right. Aaron? I can go half a second with being able to push back on it. Do you want a builder who can't build a wall to be running a country? Well, he actually, in this case, actually has a valid point. <laughs> I mean, Dan, I mean, I mean, Aaron's not wrong. I mean, this, this is he a He doesn't huge... even have to make it up. He, I mean, I mean, you know, this... it actually has validity. I mean, this doesn't look good for Tom <laughs> Perez, who's the chairman of the DNC. It doesn't look good for Tom Price, who's the chairman of the IDP. You've got bigger problems inside the core infrastructure of the party, as well as a really, really congested primary field. And trying to get all of that organized is not working out well for the Dems so far. Can you argue that? Well, let's be clear here. We are an inside baseball group. So the IDP and the DNC, while they cooperate with each other, they are different entities. Just because they both have a D in their name, uh, the difference being the I and the N, they are different creatures. And yes, the IDP screwed this up. Um, that is a, a, a different. But you piece. understand, it does Dan? Not look good for the Democratic Party. But, but Dan, you I, want, th- Dan? These, you, these errors will not be true in New Hampshire. This is this, this is 
I, I, Dan, I, you well, under- Alan, Alan is correct. I expect the president to to, uh, to to make noise about this, but in fact, it's not going to matter. Dan, going, you it's know, not you sound you sound like cast. Dan. You sound like every Washington insider known to man <laughs> by saying that. Oh, it's not the same. I can tell you right now that uh, the American voters that reside in those places like Iowa, Nebraska, Arkansas. They don't see the difference between the Iowa Democratic Party and the National Party I'm sorry, here in Washington. When's the last time Nebraska voted for a Democrat? I'm just saying. Uh, they would have. And actually, there was one congressional district in 2008 that voted for Barack Obama. But, and before that, because they, they, they situate their districts, they can vote by congressional but, district versus state. But before that, it was 1964 for LBJ. And by the way, right, Dan, and and, and Dan Lipner, it's, it's, a, it's a horrible optic for the Democrats on a national level. You can't argue that, can you? The president's a horrible optic for the Republican Party on a national level. What's your point? And, <laughs> wow. Wow. That 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 could, you know what, Dan, I've known you for many, many years. That could be the worst comeback you've had on this show. That was horrible. You're saying the president's a good optic for the no, Republican No, I would have thought you would have come right. up with something a little bit more definitive, a little bit more fact-based, but all right. So, Alan Moore, go ahead. So, so Dan has employed two, two tactics, a, a failed bait-and-switch move, which you just witnessed. But he's also had some tr- some factual trouble that I thought would, was worthy of mentioning. Because he earlier said, I don't know where you got this, Dan, that Kamala Harris had raised $100 million, and then she was out. She actually raised about $23 million, spent it all, then pulled out. But maybe it was a rounding error in the way Democrats think. Yeah. Well, anyway, the, the, the reality is, is that... Uh, Aaron, we're D- Donald Trump's sharpie. Uh, obviously, met you see now. You, now you're the, just you know. You, oh my God, you're turning in. You are turning into a Trump political operative. The what aboutism? It's oh, look at the sharpie. Don't look over here. The fact that we have an entirely screwed up political process here. But oh, look over here, sharpies. Dan Lipner. Oh, did Dan? Did facts. Dan, Who wants facts? Did, no, Dan. He's did, been smelling Dan, the pens way no, too I, much. I, or, oh, or, or I, or I thought you went off camera as a <laughs> protest. Uh, Aaron, uh, you just pointed out there's going to be an announcement. We, uh, we're we going to be watching for that announcement that will be happening out of Des Moines. Uh, hopefully they Maybe. will have some. Yeah, hopefully they'll have some things. Uh, but one of the things I do want to bring up in, in all this is and Alan, you had touched on it. The, the the biggest loser here seems to be Joe Biden. And, you know, Dan, I I, I know that uh, you Justin, have... Justin, these, these narratives you build out here, I, it, I'm actually kind of troubled that you always go for the negative and, and where you start. Why? Um, why? So, again, as Alan has correctly pointed out, we don't know anything. Um, and depending on how, how you know, it, it's all about measuring uh, what you expected to come out of this. So the, as I've said outright, uh, Mayor Pete is actually the uh, arguably the biggest winner. And he he lost because of the media side of things. Bernie Sanders has camped out here for four years and his campaign has gone nowhere. Um, he's he's not gone up. He's not gone down. So there's a question of whether or not he can go forward. It's all about the narratives you come out of here with. Yeah, show me the there positive is a narrative, narrative for Joe Biden. There is a there is what? a narrative for Joe Biden. But we were that the Biden campaign was realistically looking at a three way tie for a second. And now with Amy Klobuchar's rise, it looks like a four way tie for a second. 
because that's essentially what we're looking at. And this is actually from on the ground here. I missed so, the point. I really missed the point where they made marijuana legal out in Iowa. You're high. You, every, a four-way tie for one. second? This isn't a winner-take-all. These are Each precinct that was awarding delegates, in my precinct alone, Mayor Pete got four delegates. Bernie Sanders got four delegates. Uh, uh, Joe Biden, excuse me, Pete got four delegates. Sanders got two delegates. We got two delegates. Amy Klobuchar got two delegates. Elizabeth Warren was not viable, and neither was Andrew Yang. Now, nobody was expecting Yang to be viable, but I was taken aback that Warren wasn't viable in my precinct. Those are the, those are the stories throughout the state. So lots of campaigns are getting delegates. It's how this works. So you there are states where a winner-take-all or it's only the top two. But, but Dan, um, that but Dan, matters. Dan, you, you, you pointed out – inside baseball – this is an inside baseball show. You can't just make these kind of blanket statements. No, like wait, 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 Dan, Dan, you pointed out the fact that, A, there was a bigger problem with the fact because now they're going to be showing not only – the delegate count, but the number of caucusers. And if that number does not show a clear definitive margin of leadership, there's a bigger problem. Look, I'm as big a fan of Uncle Joe as anybody. I hope Uncle Joe uh, is is in strong contention to get the nomination for the Democratic Party. The problem is I also look at the reality of it, and if I am looking at it, from an outsider's view without any skin in the Democratic game, I'll tell you right now, this is a disappointment for Joe Biden. And I'm a fan it's of also his. A, it's a, it, so under that math, it's <clears throat> also a huge disappointment for Bernie Sanders, who has, again, camped out in the state for four years, whose organization took over the party for a period of time. And for him to be displaced after having run last cycle for a young 30-something who is the former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, is arguably a disaster for him. So that is part of the narrative. You can't simply target one race. Elizabeth Warren's rise and fall is also a disaster for her. And worse yet for her, she's looking at negative numbers for a state or for a state that's in her backyard. This is the conversation. You're singling out individual campaigns for things that they don't deserve. So the the question it's is, not the, it's not that I'm lost. singling them out, Dan. It's just I'm pointing out obvious statements of, okay, of, of analysis. We, I will talk, talk about Bernie. What is there to talk about Bernie? <laughs> Look, if you want to get into this dialogue, and I'm only going to do this for about 30 seconds, then I'm going to take this back, is Bernie is not feasible. Bernie can't beat Trump. I don't care what world you're in. I don't care what world you're looking at. Bernie can't beat Trump because Bernie can't win the Midwest. His rhetoric stops at the Mississippi River and stops at the Rocky Mountains. It doesn't go into central the central now, states I'm not a, I'm of not the a United backer, States. But you, ha- but you, ha- but you have to give his campaign some credit as well. Sure, they had a great ground game. game. They, they had a great grassroots game. They, They've and, always been and they grassroots. Had a great grassroots. Right. They've always they been grassroots, grassroots, so they're not exactly—they're not lighting the world but on fire. But they're also not growing. 
which uh, it, they're also not growing, hey, which is a narrative. You know what? Hey, uh, the, the, these wanna, are serious topics. I'm going to talk to Alan. I'm going to talk to Alan and Aaron here for a second. I'm, Dan, I'm, Dan, I'm, Dan I'm, I'm messing with you. Relax. I'm so intrigued with Dan, with Dan after I called him out on his little little mistake on the Kamala Harris funds, thinking that $23 million uh, he, was equal to $100 million. But now he's trying to tell us that Joe was tied for second. Now, We'll know soon we'll know whether that's true. But we'll, all we'll the look. information that was out last night, Sanders information, Buttigieg information, and all the television information suggests that is not the case. Right. We'll see. But, but one can always hope. I like Joe, too. Yeah. I, I actually I, do. I but, really hope that Joe but I've got this pulls fear this out. that he's going to be in a clear fourth. That's yeah. my fear. Well, I don't, I, we won't know about that. But he, here's the other question I've got in— I want to go. I want to go to Rich Rubino on this. Richie, normally on the day after the hangover day in Iowa, we start seeing camps shut down. We start seeing uh, the can the uh, number of candidates starting to wean down a little bit. We're not going to see that here today because we don't know who really took it in the shorts or who, in fact, is the strong winner. Uh, does this help or hurt the Democratic ticket as far that's as – go, go ahead, Dan. Go just, ahead, Dan. Justin, just, Justin, that question's already wrong on its face. Why? There's nothing else for the campaigns to do here. What do you think they're going to do, recast ballots? <laughs> These campaigns have a, have hundreds of field organizers well, on the ground. Again, There's nothing again, else for them Dan, to do. Dan, yeah, I, um, Dan, hold on, hold on. Let me answer that. Dan, here's the thing. It is not wrong because here's what's happened. Everybody that was in Iowa has now gone and said, I am fighting another day. Right, wrong, or indifferent, they got a gift Justin, yesterday. Justin, this is bad reporting. I Why? am physically here. Again, physically here where, in a campaign office. Where, where's the candidate? Where, no, where's the candidate? About, you guys are talking about two different things. Right. Justin's talking about the candidates, all right. of whom are still alive, still off to all New Hampshire. All going off to New Hampshire. And Dan is talking about the field workers, some of whom, many of whom, like him, are still there, and then they'll be heading home soon. Right. So, but, but the thing about they're heading home. They're, they're, they're waiting for their state assignments, which they're going to be getting tomorrow. They're all picking up and going either right. to New Hampshire, South Carolina, or Nevada. All right. They're, so the, so, the, the, okay, they're Dan, not sticking Dan. around here. You, and he suggested that they're sticking no, around no, here. He didn't. He I didn't. Just, just, no, Dan, no, I, I did not. When, um, Dan, I did not. You misheard him. Yeah, Dan, I did not. What I said was that the candidates have all left. Normally, there would be candidates that would be shutting down their operations because they can't see a path forward. That's the reality. This is the first time in a long time that we have had all the candidates that went into Iowa walking out and flying out to New Hampshire to fight another day. Yep. It's like, That's well, truth. It's that is truth, Dan. You can't I argue it's, that. It, I, I have, we haven't heard from Duval Patrick or uh, Dennett yet, have we? Wow, he's turning into a Republican. <laughs> he really is turning into a Trump Republican. It's, right. it's great. It's it's all right. Right. We, have, have we heard from Duval, Duval Patrick or, we have or, not heard, or Senator we have not, Bennett? We have not heard from no. Bennett. We have not heard from Duval Patrick. The anticipation is... Look, if I'm Duval Patrick and I can go to New Hampshire, it's right next door to my home state, I'll go. Anyway, that being said, uh, Rich Rubino, what do you got? Yeah. Well, just a couple of things. First of all, you're right. That's usually what happens. That's what happened in 2008, for example, after New Hampshire. I mean, Chris Dodd, Joe Biden, um, 2004. 
you had Dick Gephardt, who had won, the expectation was that he was going, he was supposed to win Iowa because he'd won there in 1988. He didn't win there in 2004. He dropped out. So that is essentially what the process is. What I thought Amy Klobuchar actually had an opening because if she came in fourth, if she came in if third, but if she came in fourth, what I think she should have said is what Fred Harris said back in 1946. When Fred Harris was running, he came in ahead of Mo Udall, came in fourth, and declared himself, I've been winnowed in, meaning that Iowa had brought him into the process. And the next day, the narrative, which he controlled, was that now Fred Harris is considered a major candidate as opposed to being somebody who was essentially shut out of the system. I thought Amy Klobuchar would have, some, would have said something very similar to that. But as we, as we know now, we have no idea who won, but I'm assuming that uh, Michael Bennett probably did not win. And I'm assuming why he, you know, he made us decide to stay to go through New Hampshire and then just drop out next week. Deval Patrick, you know, he does have a lot of money in terms of super PACs putting money in. I don't know why. I cannot understand the process, his his thought process as to why he got into this race in the first place. But, um, you know, he's, he does have volunteers going up to New Hampshire. He's got Tim Murray, the his former lieutenant governor, going up to New Hampshire. So they see some, they see the reason for him potentially running for president, maybe just to get publicity for a cabinet's post. I don't know. But I think they're both going to probably stay in at least another week. Uh, it's going to be an interesting play. Uh, Alan Moore, bottom line here is, uh, is it a smart play to keep the number of Democrats that we have? I mean, is this sustainable for Andrew Yang? Is this sustainable for Duval Patrick? Is this sustainable for uh, Senator Bennett? It's hard for me to see any of the three of them ever getting enough traction uh, to make a difference. Um, they, they, they have their own reasons. Um, nobody has the ability to tell them to get out. Um, nobody really cares much because they don't make much difference. Uh, Yang did, I think, uh, have enough people in a few uh, of last night's uh, precincts. I don't know. Dan, Dan might know. But, but I mean, he, he had a grand game. Tom Steyer, who spent a lot of money. Uh, had virtually nothing to show for it. He had the the lowest return on 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 dollar spending than than anybody, uh, as far as I can tell, um, other than those who spent early right. and then dropped out. Um, but but uh, you know, there's a there's a big four or five. Amy Klobuchar's results, if she beats Biden, which is possible, that would be news. She'll have the ability to say she's winnowed in. I think she's one of the few who might be able to claim that she had a really good night and then fo- does, and, and follow it up when the results does, are out. Does Dan Lipner, did we see any effects of the Bloomberg influx? Not, not a bit. Uh, but one thing we did see, uh, so uh, I haven't heard any reports of Steyer being viable anywhere. Um, so I don't think he got a single delegate. Uh, similar to Andrew Yang, uh, my one bit of curiosity that's out there once there is actually full reporting, and we'll see how contestable that is, um, is how many places were both Klobuchar and and Warren viable, because to some extent, uh, people may have underestimated uh, the women's caucus that just want to make sure a woman is the nominee, because that's exactly what we saw in my caucus, uh, that there were folks that simply wanted to make sure it was a, a, a woman that was the nominee. So that that was their only switch. So once Warren was viable, switching to Klobuchar, um, and then other Warren folks just stormed out the door after she wasn't viable. Um, Alan, so, is, but is, I'm, I'm still waiting to see what it is in the rest of the state. You know, you know, 
Dan brought up a really valid point as far as the name we've been talking about as far as the the women candidates go. It's been Amy Klobuchar. Are we surprised that we didn't see a stronger, at least, discussion about Elizabeth Warren out there in Iowa? Oh, I, 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 I don't know that there wasn't much discussion. Um, I mean, Klobuchar, this was like her last, be- seen as her last best chance. Um, and she's not expected to do that well in New Hampshire. But if she could get a boost out of Iowa... And it's still possible. Does she? The, it, it can help her in New Hampshire. Can she stay in long enough to make her viable as a as a Veep candidate? Oh, she's already a, a viable Veep candidate. You can go down the list of all of the candidates still in, and you could see you could see Biden or Sanders or Buttigieg. Any of those three, you could see picking her. You, well, you couldn't see as Warren picking her. Um, because two women on a on a ticket, although not impossible, seems unlikely. Seems like a stretch. So I think Klobuchar, as long as, especially if she can exceed rather low expectations, keep expectations low, try to exceed them, um, act with 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 some class and some intelligence, which right. I think people would acknowledge she has, she has done. Right. And uh, and she's she's right there as a as a, a an add on right. to a ticket. And Dan, she's not as polarizing as I think Elizabeth Warren. Well, no, as, as I'm thinking for a number two as Kamala Harris, for example, oh, sort of turned out to be. Yeah. Um, Dan Lipner, there's been uh, several outside of Washington, a couple of prominent Democrats that I've talked to that said that a possible brokered convention uh buyout by bloomberg with a klobuchar veep on the ticket would not be a unreasonable expectation to come out of milwaukee is 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 he living outside of reality or is that plausible and could get buy-in by democratic leadership this is mental masturbation at this point. It's way too early to know. Uh, Bloomberg's absolutely climbing in the polls, but we don't, I don't know, know if he pops out. I don't even want to that. <laughs> we, um, this is so different than what we're normally doing around yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, go ahead. But, no, I mean, we still have to see exactly what he's bought for his money. Um, it's entirely possible. I mean, that super, the, the anti-gun Super Bowl ad, um, while feeds the base, uh, a lot of moderates go, you know, people with guns, we need to vote for us. Um, we don't, might not want to shine a spotlight directly on this issue. Uh, but we'll see. Bloomberg could change the formula a bit. And for all we know, Steyer can rise from the dead if his media gets better once once things are less up close and personal and more based on TV. Right. There, there's still a lot of stuff in play. All right. Rich Rubino uh, is... Is this the last important news cycle that we're going to see a Iowa caucus? And how do they fix this problem? Uh, I guess they need a better app. Um, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to be the last. It's going. They're going to. The Iowa Democratic Party, though, is going to have to make a case. And I guess you know. I don't know about the Iowa Republican Party, but they're going to have to make a case to the national to the to Democrats generally, nationally why they need to continue having this process. Um, why, why, not only this, just what happened this specifically, but why, for example, do you have to go through this caucus process 
rather than having a primary. I think Nevada, Wyoming, and Kansas are the only states that continue to have it. Um, it's why, why is it such a complicated process, and just why not go back to a primary? I think, though, that the state, I mean, the state of Iowa, certainly all the money that it brings in, they're going to do everything they can. They're going to put a full-court press on to show why they need to have this process. But I can't imagine any candidates, potentially, except for potentially uh, Joe Biden's candidacy, um, favoring continuing this process. Um, and also, the other, the other problem with Iowa for the Democrats is it's not representative of what the Democratic Party is. The Democratic Party is not rural. It's more metropolitan. It, the Democratic Party is more minority-oriented. The Democratic Party, um, Iowa is, of course, more, is, of course, one of the, you know, a 97% state, that 97% white state. So it's very interesting for the Democrats whether they continue to have it. Or perhaps if they, if they do want to have a small state right around, the New Hampshire, right around the time in New Hampshire, why not a state like Delaware, which is a little more diverse in a lot of different ways? Dan Lipner? Yeah, so I disagree with Rich. Um, this is absolutely representative of, of what the Democratic Party is. Will Roger is right. We are absolutely disorganized. <laughs> there's, um, there's no New York to no organized party. You're a Democrat, right? That's right. Absolutely. That's right. I think I think the app failure may have may have in, in an odd way helped the Democratic Party get rid of Iowa and the caucuses in the future because they've been trying to do it for a couple of uh, uh, a couple of times around. It's hard. It, it it hurts people's feelings. It's kind of been been entrenched. And, and effect- now, because of the app, it, this is such a disaster that I think this uh, tips it over the edge. Does, does the Republicans, this meanwhile, Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst yesterday, the two Republican senators from Iowa, were saying, wait, wait, no, 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 we like our caucuses. We like our caucus system, right, right. Which is not exactly— And their ethanol. <laughs> which, is not, which is not exactly major voices in the Democratic so Party and just, whether this is a good so idea. By, by well, the it brings in a ton of money to the state. Right, but, but here's the thing also is uh, you talked about the— uh, the app getting rid of the Iowa caucuses. Does the app have a ripple effect here to Washington? Does the app get rid of uh, DNC chair Tom Perez? Boy, I don't. So my understanding is that the states, uh, a couple of states, decided to use this app. Uh, Nevada, I think, Nevada is, is one using of them. it too, right? So New, New Hampshire maybe, put out a press release saying that we're not using the app. Maybe, maybe they'll have the, the, gl- the glitches worked out. Um, by the time it's in Nevada, but Nevada's not nearly as important as as Iowa. Everybody's been in Iowa. It's all right. Iowa, 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 Iowa. Tens of millions, probably more than a hundred million dollars spent there, and and then this, yeah, and this, and this, this week. I mean, it just happens that where it's they took be they took the loss, they with, took the loss in the Senate. They take this hit. It, bad week, for, bad week for Dems. Dan Lipner. I mean, again, the it's a bad week for the Iowa Democratic Party. Um, the, the parties rep- work on their own and occasionally go askew. It's like herding cats like anything else in Democratic politics. Um, it's a tough week for the Democratic Party, absolutely. But there's still plenty to be seen. Um, I know we're probably going to talk about the, the president and his woes. So uh, it, it, I, I think it's best not to conflate the two at the moment. Okay, fair enough. All right. We're going to uh, keep an eye on this real quick, but uh, on behalf of Dan Lipner, Rich Rubino, uh, Dan, travel safe. Hopefully you'll be back next week with us. Uh, I should be back. I, I should be back in D.C. by Thursday. Good. We'd love to have you back in the studio. Ellen Moore. Hey, as always, uh, Charlie Bernie, thank you very much for running the board. 
Uh, Emma. Is Emma in the glass enclosed? There she is. Okay, Emma's here. She's here. And then Maddie, of course, Maddie the engineer. We always love having Maddie the engineer. Uh, you can download us on uh, our on our website, backroompolitics.org. You can also find us on GoFundMe. You soon will be able to donate and back us on Patreon starting later this week. Uh, download us on your favorite podcast services, Google, Spotify, Apple, uh, iHeartRadio. You name it, we're there. We're kind of a big deal. Have a great week, America. See ya.